I want you to think back at a time that you may have been picked for a team. I, I, I don't mean like where um, someone's choosing between the last two people. Like I remember times when you'd line up and I go, oh, yeah, they'd pick the best player and then the second best player and the third best player. And then it might get to the point where it's like, and then I'm picking my mate and I'm picking my mate. And, and then it comes down to last few people. And sometimes like when it gets down that low, there's like, you can have the rest. I don't want any of them. So, But I, I want you to think about a time where you were picked for something, and whether it's a sport, whether it was to be a part of a, a special presentation, well, maybe like even you got chosen to work in a, a special team at work. Um, and the thing is, like, when that happens, when you do get picked to go represent um whether it's your team or whether it's um, um, something when you get elected into a position, there is a feeling of going, people want me there. Like it's actually a good feeling to have where you go, you know what? Um, out of everyone they could have chosen, it was me. Like um, the funny thing is there's been times I've been elected in positions when there's no one else who wants the job. And I'm going, one, I feel overworked and I don't feel special. Like it's, it's actually the reverse thing that happens. And so, so sometimes... We, we like sort of having people go, yes, we voted for that person. That's the person we wanted or we chose this person for our team or, or the coach the coach actually picks you to be on the starting lineup of the, of the team. And so it's a good feeling when we are in that situation. Um, and the reason you were picked was that there was something um, because you had something valuable to bring to the group. So if it was a, a creative group, it might have been skills that you had. You might have had a an angelic singing voice, or you can play instruments, or, or you just thought really creatively, um, like maybe you're a really confident person, they needed someone to be able to do that. Maybe it was in your sport, you you had like that particular set of skills that was, you were fast, you were tall, you were, um, uh, this it's a movie, um, I've, I've seen a movie, I've seen a clip from a movie a few times where Robert Duvall sort of spoke about his sport, sporting experiences in this movie, he goes, he said, he said, I'm short, but I made up for it by being slow. Um, and, and the thing is, like, um, but most of us, when we get picked for something, it's because there's something that we could bring to the team. It might have been our strength. It might have been our tenacity. And we go, that's the person I want on our team. Um, the thing is, when it comes to God making selections for his team, he uses a different lens, a bit different framework than we would probably choose. Um, again, if you wanted to look at the disciples, um, uh, there's a, a little bit of a, a joke thing that went around for a number of years. It's probably still out on the internet somewhere. It looks at if Jesus, we today were to select someone on the disciples, most of them we would have rejected. You know, the one person we would have accepted because of their management skills, um, they were good with money, they were, they were sort of organized, was Judas. He was the one that kind of represented the organizational skills we wanted in a church, and he was the one that betrayed Jesus. And all the others, no education, not good in front of people. When things get tough, they run away. And yet these were the people that God chose. Um, he oftentimes, he chooses outcasts and people that are forgotten about, um, not wanted, people that are left over. Which means this is the great thing. So maybe in this opening story where you think about, you know what? I've never been picked for anything. I've always been too short, too slow. 
um, and 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 now I'm too old. Like it could be that that sort of situation there. Um, do you know what? No matter where you find yourself today, because God picks the outcasts, the forgotten, the leftovers, doesn't matter how you view yourself, God can use you, and more importantly, God wants you. So today we are in our second week of our chameleon series, and we kicked it off last week looking at the fact that we are God doesn't want us as Christians to conform to the world around us. Now, what that means is that um, too often Christians, we look exactly like the rest of the world. And, and Jesus actually put some identifiers in saying these are things that we should aim for. So he sort of said we should be known by our love. Um, he, he calls us to be holy people. Um, he calls us to stand out from the world. He calls us to be light to the world in darkness. And too often we go, we... I don't know if we forget about it or ignore it, but whatever we do, we kind of end up in the place of the world where we're in darkness, we're not actually influencing anyone, we, we are whinging just as much as anyone else. Anyone here a whinger? Don't put up your hand. People will see your hand move. So, yes, Caleb, you can put your hand up, okay? So, um, he is my little whinger ninja. Um and um, but the thing is, we we too often we look exactly like the world. And Paul said in the book of Romans that we are not meant to conform. We are not meant to copy the patterns of the world. We're actually have, meant to have our mind renewed and transformed, so we actually more look like Jesus Christ. And so this idea of a chameleon, we don't want to fit in with the world. A chameleon sort of comes and actually it blends into its environment. Um. And so um, it's like for speaking to the young people for a bit. So in your room, you, your clothes are like chameleons because some of you can't tell the difference between your dirty clothes and your clean clothes. They look the same and they're all in the pile together on the ground. That's my subtle hint of saying clean your rooms, okay? Um, but in other things, like, yeah, chameleon in real life, it will go into whatever environment and it will blend in a way of protecting itself. And maybe that's what we're thinking as Christians, that if we just go and fit in with the world, the world will leave us alone. But we actually live in a world that is actually very hostile in thought and attitude and actions towards Christians. Um, and, and not just, uh, we're probably fortunate in Australia in the sense that we don't have any physical activism against Christianity. But around the world, it's prevalent. Um, in some countries, that if you are a Christian, it's a jailable offence. If you are living in a family who is Muslim and you become Christian, you are rejected from your family, put in jail, maybe even put to death. And so we, we sometimes go, you know what, to avoid any hassle, let's just hide in. And, but that's not what we're called to do. <laughs> and so today we're sort of continuing on this idea of, of do not conform, but looking at one of the reasons why we shouldn't conform is the, is the fact that we have been chosen by God to be transformed by him and to be allowed to be used by him. So we just saw that passage from Peter and it looks about, talks about that we are uh, uh, a, a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Um, and so that becomes a really important thing for us to understand. When Peter writes this letter, he does it so to a group of Christians who are scattered throughout the northern part 
of Asian Minor. These Christians are aliens or foreigners in a land they find themselves in, and many of them are facing suffering because of that. They are different. Um, uh, they are different because of the faith they have chosen. They are different because of how they are living. Um, at the time, during those first uh, 300 years of, of so of the, um, this millennia, um, what we find was that um, Christianity really stood out as a, as a faith because it was it, one of its goals was to be selfless. Jesus came to to this earth to to die for us to sort of um, be a sacrifice for us to be our savior, and in that model he called us to go out and love others. and And love is not just like a a thirty minute rom or an hour and a half rom com. It's actually love is actually something that we go do and. It's something that we show other people through the way that we live and we act. And so Christians all of a sudden started stepping out and, and doing amazing things. At the time, if you were a leper, you were ostracized to the outside of the city. The closest people that would come to you would you be family that would come to the area where you're left and they'd leave food for you. They couldn't even see you, couldn't even give you a hug. And other people, other sicknesses that happened around that same time of, of history Christians actually stepped up and went, do you know what? We are going to love these people. We are going to meet with them. We are going to heal, heal them. We are going to bind their wounds. We are going to, to look after them. And people kind of went, this is bizarre. You're not meant to do that. You're just meant to throw these people away. They looked after the orphans. They looked after people in need. And even in the early church, the, the church sort of went, we've got to actually serve the widows in our community because they have no one looking after them. And again, the world is watching on and going, this is bizarre. Like, why would you do anything nice? Because that's not what their faith and their belief had taught them. And so Peter is seeking to encourage this group of believers. And within the passage we read, um, we just read, I believe that there are three things in particular that Peter is trying to do. First of all, he's trying to remind, he's trying to challenge, and he's trying to strengthen. And if we can receive each one of these for ourselves today, we'll understand the, significant of, the significance of God choosing to use us. We will be spurred on to achieve greater things in our walk with Christ than ever before. Well, first of all, we need to let God remind you of your past. As I said, the first thing we see Peter do when he's writing to his audience is to simply try to remind them of the past. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. The key phrase to sum all that up, Peter is trying to remind these Christians um, of is the final thing. He says that you are God's very own possession. I'm going to pause right here on that. I want us to sit and just sit for a moment and understand that you are God's very own possession. God has actually invested in you, he has he has bought you with a price. It says in other um, uh, the other um, uh, letters that Paul wrote. And so, do you understand that idea that you are God's very own possession? In Jeremiah thirty two thirty eight to forty, it says, "They will be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action, so they will always fear me." And that. All will go they then will go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them and I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. 
And again, we hear that word fear there and, and we kind of go, what does that mean? Um, in the Old Testament, like sometimes fear meant exactly that. God says, I'm, I'm not a little God that is to be sort of just disrespected. And, and like when you enter my presence, it's a big, big deal. Like um, it's like um, for kids here, does mum or dad ever use that big voice? And you know, oh, someone's going to cop it right now. Hopefully it's not me. Does that ever happen at home or is it just our house? Um, like, or maybe, maybe it's, <laughs> Gregory, you're going to get me in trouble up here. Um, anyway, um, but sometimes when we enter in God's presence, he goes, he doesn't want us sort of going, oh, like just casually going about it. There's, there's, there's a, a fear there. But in, in a lot of it's it's this deep awe and respect that we're meant to sort of like this amazement when we come into God's presence. And sometimes we can see it when we go into places around the world, like when you walk out onto a beach and the water's crystal crystal clear and there's a tinge of green and blue and you can see fish swimming around in it and the waves are perfect, the, the wind's just right, a bit of warmth and, and everything. Everything's just going amazingly. And you sit there and go, wow, this is, this is, this is the spot. Um, I'm coming back here again. I haven't even, I've only just got here, but I'm definitely coming back here again. It might be a, a waterfall or, or, or just even being amazed by the, the created things that God has put around us. And you go, that is amazing. That's what that idea of fear is meant to be. And if you look closely in, uh, enough to, um, all throughout the Bible, there seems to be a trend um, for God to take you where he wants you to be. He often has to remind you of his faithfulness first in the past. Peter is doing the same thing here. He says, I know it's tough. I know there's suffering. I know there's persecution all around. You are probably on the brink of giving up, but I need you to remember that God chose you, not so that he could leave you, but so that he could use you. Remember today, you are his and he has chosen you. Secondly, we need to accept the challenge. This leads us to the, the second thing I believe Peter sets out to do in this passage, that there is a challenge um, that is to challenge these scattered Christians. He just finished um, reminding his readers God chose them. He, he goes on, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Many Christians have had bad things said about them over the years. Some of them have been rounded up and put in prisons and, and all kinds of things. And, and even Jesus himself, when he was on trial, they tried to lie about him. And, and, and the lies just didn't make sense. And everyone's going, that's not true, is it? Like, and, and, and so Peter's saying, in spite of that, don't, don't try and defend yourself with, with words. Don't try and sort of say, oh, you're lying. He said, live in such a way that they've got nothing but good to say about you. Even when they try to say evil about you and, and lie about you and, and all manner of things, your, your goodness and your good deeds will be a testimony to who you are and who God is in you. See, a lot of us tend to receive God's blessings in our lives convinced that they are only for us. Like, it's like a kid on Christmas Day. This is my present. No one else is using it. I'm the only one. And if someone can touch it, 
I'm in total control. You can touch it for five seconds and then you've got to give it back. You can use it, but don't break it. Um, you can look at it, but don't touch it. Like Sometimes we think God has given us something that we need to hang on to so tightly that it's just for us. It's not for anyone else. It's no one else's business. It's just for me. It's for God to encourage me. But the thing is, we, we see in Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your ways may be known on the earth and your salvation among all nations. See here, what we see is that God says, let, let God bless us. Let, us. let us know the blessing of God in our lives so that your ways may be known throughout the world. And, and so if we are hanging on to God's blessings within our lives and not passing them on, then that goal is not reached. In our passage from Peter, Peter also speaks about the concept of advancing the kingdom of heavens, oftentimes by simply living a righteous lifestyle. The choice God made to choose us was ultimately to bring glory to himself. And believe me when I say the way we live is so important because the truth is people are always watching. The way we live our lives is one of the loudest testimonies we will ever share with others. Um, St. Francis of Assisi is quoted as saying it this way, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Well, what does that mean? So if you haven't heard that phrase before, you might be going, well, what, you mean sign language? Like, what, what does he mean? Well, he sort of said, live in such a way that you are showing God's love. You are showing the story of Christ with your life so that people will see your good deeds and how that you love other people. And, and sometimes loving the unlovely people, loving the people that frustrate you, loving your enemies, Again, these are all biblical concepts, and in doing so, what we find is that when we do that, one, we grow. We would grow with God when we are loving that way. But secondly, the world looks on and goes, I couldn't do that. I couldn't love that way. What's so different about you? What's so special about you? And then as we scratch our head and we think about it, it goes, well, I'm not that special. I'm not actually that good. It's because Jesus Christ has saved me, and I live by Holy Spirit power. And all of a sudden you're talking about who God is in your life and what he does for you. And I think this is the same, same challenge that applies to us today. I wonder who in our daily lives are watching the way that we live, the way that we speak, the way that we spend our time, the way that we treat others. Now, I've spoken a bit to the young people. I want to speak to the parents and grandparents right now because your kids your grandkids and their friends will be watching you. They will be. Um, and like some of them will look at you and go, you're just like my mum and dad. And that may not be a good thing. Like you are just like them. You don't, you're not different in any way. But sometimes they'll go, um, and I remember a dear friend of mine, who had been involved with many camps over the years. And um, towards the end of his life, what, what we found out was that a lot of the kids who went along to the camps had often said to his kids who were on the camps with them, I wish your dad was like, I wish your dad was my dad. 
I just see the way that he loves you guys. I see the way he loves these young people. I wish your dad was my dad. Now, I'm not saying we need to go out and steal any one of other's parents or anything like that, but if we live in such a way that our kids and their friends are watching us and taking it on them going, this is, they actually, they believe what they say they believe. They live it out in their own life. Um, our kids are probably going to be the, the best judge of, of whether we actually measure up to our words. Because they'll see if we get angry at home. They'll see what kind of person we are. They'll see when we try and get away with things. I had a friend of mine that uh, in, in Brisbane and he was very financially conservative in the sense of he liked to keep it in his pockets. Um, and so if he went on a train, he was okay for his kids to be three, four, five years younger than what they were because it saved me a few dollars hopping on the train. The thing is, every time he did that, his kids saw, they saw that, okay, being truthful is not as important as saving money. Money was more important than the truth. Money was more important than honesty. And and the thing is, you can say, well, oh, later on in life, you, well, you know what I was trying to do. It wasn't a big deal. No, they learned the principle that money is the most important thing. And so that might mean that, okay, I'm going to sacrifice my family for the sake of earning more money. I'm going to sacrifice um, this to, to get the things that I want. I'm going to um, cheat on my taxes because I can. And that's the lesson I learned. And so, yeah, we are, need to be aware that we are being watched and, and we need to be living in a way that's righteous and be an example to others. And, and the thing is, this is not meant to be a scary thing. It's meant to be an amazing privilege we have as God's chosen people to show the world around us what Christ looks like um, and, that, and that light that overcomes the darkness. And so, thirdly, we need to allow God to encourage us. Um, again, Peter's writing to this group of people that are scattered and um, he says, he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light once you had no identity as people, now you are God's, you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Peter once again takes us down memory lane in a time of our lives when we are stuck living in darkness. Chances are, because we are all human, we've experienced what this feels like firsthand. Um, for those who are at camp, we talked about this in the sense that there are going to be lows, sometimes lows that God allows us to go through, some of the lows are there because of the choices we've made. And, and one of the most striking biblical examples of God's mercy and grace over a person's life is found in Saul the Pharisee, who became Paul the Apostle. Saul was present during the stoning of Stephen. He hunted Christians as a hobby um, and sort of got out and did it well. Um, went around going, where can I find them? I've heard there's some over here. Do I have permission? special permission to go get these guys, and he did. And, and, and he went from house to house chasing Christians from town to town, and God intervened literally as Saul was traveling from one persecution to another. And his story picks up in Acts 9, um, and uh, verse 3. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Saul is going, well, I haven't done anything wrong. Um, who are you, Lord? I, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. 
Now, again, probably would have been quite an epic scene for Paul. The thing was, those who were with him, they could only hear it in audio. There was no visual, there was no special effects for them. Only Paul got the special of blinding, blinding light. And so Saul actually ended up in darkness. He was blinded by that event. And the light of, of Christ met him in the midst of his journey. And God not only had mercy on Saul, but loved the gentle nation so much, a Gentile nation so much that he chose Saul to be their appointed apostle and bearer of the gospel. So Saul went from someone that was trying to stop the church and to stop Christians, and God basically went, I can use this guy, and took him from that, that pathway that he was on and put him on a new one. And, and the thing is, Saul deserved death, but through Christ he received life. And he traded the rest of his earthly life to serve Christ. This is the kind of thing that God can do with anyone and all of us. This is the kind of kingdom transformation Peter is encouraging in his letter. He's challenging his original readers to remember who and whose they are. He's challenged them to step into the calling and represent Christ to others around them, both in their world, words and their works. We are not saved by good works but we are saved to good works. And the bottom line encouragement for all of us is this. Can, God can use any of us. He can redeem any life and bring all the lost sheep home. If God can turn Saul into a Paul, then just imagine what he can do in and through your life. Peter makes it clear. God does not, does not simply choose us strictly for our benefit, but ultimately to benefit others around us. Maybe we've been keeping the seed of salvation all to ourselves. We, we have the story of God in our hands. We, we have the salvation of God in our hearts. Maybe it's time we expand our comfort zones a bit and share the good news of redemption. The truth is there are people in your daily life, maybe even in your inner circle, that do not know there is a God who loves them and would choose to use them for a higher purpose than anything this world could possibly offer them. They are watching you as you walk the path of faith. They are observing your responses, your reactions to suffering and adversity, your joy, peace, patience and kindness. And so this is the challenge. I want you guys this week to go out and live your life as a sermon. I'm going out you to get you to preach through your life and preach in such a way that there is a powerful message that those close to you have no other option but to hear it and see it and ultimately come to a point where one day they'll praise God because of it. Who comes to mind when you think of those close to you? Who do you think might need to hear the good news of Christ? Who can you, um, um, what can you do this week in word or deed to proclaim the good news in those around you? As you consider this challenge, remember, you are chosen and redeemed. You are an ambassador of Christ, a messenger of the greatest news the cosmos has ever known. And the same God who raised up Christ from the dead will raise you up in your time of need. He will never leave you or forsake you. You have been chosen. You have been chosen for a purpose. And so this week, take what you have received and share that with others. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you this morning for, for the identity that you give us, that constant transformation that you want to do in our lives. And I pray that as we, um, 
as we go into this week, that we would realize that we have been chosen by you. The God of this universe has chosen each one of us, chosen us to, to receive salvation, chosen us to receive mercy and grace, chosen us to experience the fullness of life that you have for us. But it doesn't stop there, Lord. We have been chosen to receive all your blessings, but also to share those blessings to the world around us. And so, Lord, I first and foremost ask that everyone here would know the fullness of your story in their lives. They would know what it is to be loved by you, to be chosen by you, to be identified by you, but also then, Lord, would know what it is to go and and to, to share that with others. And so, Lord, this week, instill that truth in our lives that we are chosen but challenge us to, to take that into a world that needs to know that truth also. And so we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen.